You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, well, without further ado, we are getting into the Word of God. We are in Mark chapter 9 this morning. So Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29 is our text. Um, so either pull out your phone, if you use a phone app, and just type that in, Mark 9, 14 through 29. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, either do that, or we have Bibles, as always. Feel free to grab one of those on your way in um, next week or share with someone next to you. But Mark 9, verses 14 through 29 is where the Lord has us this morning. It says this. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all, the, what is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit uh, seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You you faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming from the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into uh, the, the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit and said, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to speak in here, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd and said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for our time this morning. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we we thank you even for this section that can can seem a little bit weird and um, scary or interesting or whatever it is, Lord, we we thank you that you've given it to us for today, and thank you that your word is living and active, and that your spirit wants to speak to us, wants to give us revelation to what it means and how it applies to our lives. And Lord, we do cry out that even us this morning, that you would help our unbelief, that we would be people that would trust and believe and know who you are and what you've done and what you're capable of. And even more than that, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people that pray, 
that you would stir up in us once again, or maybe for the first time, the, 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 the power of prayer, the importance and the value of it. And so God, would you do a deep heart work? Would you quicken our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us this morning? Spirit, would you empower me and anoint me to communicate these truths um, to us this morning? Pray that it would be all of you and none of me, that I would decrease, that you would increase. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here, you know, we see, if we're reading this, it isn't the most fluffy, like, awesome thing in the world. It's actually a little bit freaky. For some of us, it might be just weird and disturbing, this up-close look into the kingdom of darkness confronted by the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening here. There's this tangible, first-hand, in-your-face meeting of this spirit of darkness, of this demonic force and power um, being confronted with the power of God. And there's this dramatic scene of this young, bo- young boy um, seizing and going into convulsions and just making a scene. And it can feel disturbing and weird and freaky, but there's rich lessons and, there's, and there's, there's, there's real good things that we can see specifically when it comes to how the disciples interact here. And what's interesting is last week, if you were with us, it was a very more like an uplifting, victorious, dramatic portrayal of Jesus' triumphal entry, where Jesus, you know, in this dramatic picture was seen to be the son of God, and God declared that, he, that Jesus was his son, and it was this dramatic, uplifting, victorious picture of the son of God, Jesus Christ, being acknowledged to be God. And this was on the mountaintop. This, this, this encouraging, dramatic, uplifting picture. And now, just, just, you know, a few moments later, now they're down in the valley. They're not on the mountain at top anymore. They're down in the valley, and the crowds have come. And we see a much different thing. What's happening is, as always, there's a large crowd that's gathered. They've gathered because they've heard about Jesus and word has spread that he is this miracle worker and he's come and he can do anything and he can heal the sick and he can raise the dead and he can forgive sin and he can cast out demons and he's done it before and so he can do it again. And so people are bringing people to him and there's a large crowd that's gathered and as always amongst the crowd are the hypocritical, judgmental, religious leaders. And what are they doing? As always, they're arguing. They're, they're, they're arguing with the disciples with what is happening. The object, though, of the story today is that this, de- this man's demon-possessed son uh, is there. And the, the fact is that the disciples seemingly couldn't deal with the problem. They couldn't cast out the demon. They couldn't fix the issue is what's happening here today. And so the crowds... Uh, actually are complaining to Jesus. They're tattletaling on the disciples. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there's arguing going on and, this, and they're saying, the disciples can't do anything. We need you to hear. They can't do it. And in a lot of ways, the crowds are complaining to Jesus that the disciples have failed. They've failed. They don't maybe have the same power. They don't maybe have the same authority. They aren't as good as you, so to speak. And they were coming before Jesus with the disciples' failure. 
If you remember, though, if you've been with us or if you've uh, read the book of Mark, just a few chapters before, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two as a little tester. They come back, but he sends them out to do the work of the ministry. And this is like one of the first times we see in the gospel of Mark where Jesus isn't with them. And he, two by two, sends them out to proclaim the good news. And one of the things that Jesus tells these these rough and tumble guys, these fishermen and tax collectors, is in Mark 6, 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. He says this to them. He calls the 12 disciples together. He began to send them out two by two. And what does he do? He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits. That's, that's literally what he did. He said, you now have my authority and you're able to cast out an evil spirit. Well, because of our text this morning, this is kind of strange, right? Like if we're, if we're reading this this morning, why couldn't they do it? It would seem strange. It might be an issue of faith or, uh, you know, for this boy's father, at least it was. He said, help my unbelief. But it's a bit strange that even though in Mark chapter 6, Jesus did give them authority to cast out evil spirits, we see that an evil spirit is here and they couldn't do it. But I want to remind us of this big picture going on from the beginning of the book of Mark is the fact that Jesus has been showing and teaching that the spiritual realm is very real. That it's very real and it's tangible and it's in our face. And what's been happening is that the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ has been breaking into the world. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the evil one has been kind of more or less ruling and reigning in humanity and making a muck and everything is going sour and the effects of sin are wrecking everything and Jesus comes on the scene with power and might and the kingdom of God is brought and people are being transformed and evil is being destroyed and people are being freed from evil spirits. But what Jesus has been doing is he's been showing these disciples and the crowds that the spiritual realm is very real, that there actually is a evil one. The Bible calls this person Satan. And he has demons, he has minions, he has fallen angels with him to, and their purpose, the goal and purpose of Satan and demons and the kingdom of darkness is literally to destroy the work of God and the people of God. Satan's goal, the kingdom of darkness's goal, is to lie to and blind to humanity the truth of God. To derail and oppress, rob and torment humanity. And this is what we've seen. We've seen that this isn't the first time where, where, where people have been oppressed, tormented, or even possessed by evil spirits. And the kingdom of Satan, or Satan's purposes, is absolutely opposite of God's purposes. And we've seen this clash. We've seen this tension. We've seen this battle going on firsthand throughout the Gospels. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, tells us this. 
Jesus speaking to, his, to the crowds in John 10.10 10 says the thief, being Satan, his goal is to come to steal, kill, and destroy. But me, Jesus, have come that I may give you life and that abundantly. Our purposes, our goals, our heart towards humanity is completely different. And so I believe that there's a lesson to be learned by the disciples here that's even much more than just an issue of lacking faith. And I believe that this lesson is very potent to us as well. The thing that jumps out to me here is that, you know, obviously that they couldn't do it, but the why they couldn't do it was partly an issue of faith, but also there's a a rich reminder here that the disciples needed to be dependent upon God for everything they should do. It's a reminder here of the dependency that they needed to have in God for every act, for every word, for every miracle, for everything that they were attempting to do in the name of Jesus that needed to be rooted in utter dependency. This interaction reminds us that the disciples, in a very tangible way, had limitations, and there's frailty involved, right? They weren't God. They were, they were these human men trying, to, attempting to do the will of God with the power of God. But we see that there's, there was limitations. Maybe even there was failure, right? There was lack of fruit. What they tried to do didn't happen. <coughs> Excuse me. And in a lot of ways, it was a reminder for their absolute need for God. If anything, if they were getting prideful, if they were thinking, you know, we got this thing now, we're good, we can just go for it, we don't need you anymore, Lord, we're good, it would, it would stop them dead in their tracks, right, as the crowds are declaring, like, you couldn't do it. What you tried to do in Jesus' name didn't work. They were getting mocked, obviously probably feeling really discouraged, really confused. But what it would have done was it would have brought them to a place of reminder that they absolutely needed and needed to be desperate for God's strength and his power. See, like them, us two, we're we're commissioned. We've been given this same mission to go into the world to preach the good news, to show people Jesus, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be witnesses to God, to a fallen world. We in the same way have been commissioned to this, to proclaim the good news, to speak and show Jesus to this lost and dying world around us. So we are not unlike them. We've actually been given the same mission, different context, different year, different place, but same goal and same purpose. And for those of us that are in this room that you are a born-again, blood-bought follower and disciple of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you've committed your life to him. We have been given power and authority from Christ to do these things. There's not one of us that has like less authority or less power. Jesus in the great commission said, Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I give it to you. In the, in the form of his spirit. Now go and make disciples of all the nations. Not one of us in this room that is a born-again believer has any less power and authority than the disciples do or than any other believer does. We all have it. 
which is incredible, right? It's incredible. And we're called to the same mission, like we're all in this together by God's power. But if we're not careful, this mission, right, this task can easily be done in our own power, by our own might, with our own initiatives, under our own wisdom. And it really can become, it's subtle in how it can come. But I think we can all relate to this in that we get into a rhythm or a mode or, or we just start living our life and we're trying to do the right things. But all of a sudden, instead of depending upon God, I mean utterly dependent that God, I can't do anything without you, so strengthen me, we just get comfortable and we try to do things and, 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 and make up things and try to, even with good intentions, we try to do God's will, but we do it out of our own strength. We fail to be dependent upon Christ. <clears throat> and again, it's not super clear exactly what happened here other than a possible falter in faith. But what is clear is that the, the disciples were needing to be realigned and reminded that they needed Jesus, that it wasn't their power, that it wasn't their strength, that it wasn't their ability to hear that heal, excuse me. It was all Jesus's. They needed like a come back to Jesus moment. And I don't know if you've ever, well, I know you have because you're humans. I don't know if you've ever felt like a sense of failure, especially when it comes to when you serve Jesus, right? When you try to witness to someone at work and it just like, feels like it went horribly. Or like when you've prayed for a long time and then you all of a sudden for the first time share your faith with a family member and you just get like totally shut down. Or maybe it's in the church or maybe in, in one way or another, if you try to serve the Lord and you just feel like total failure, this is where the disciples were. And there's really two ways you can go with that, right? You can go, woe is me, I'll never do that again, I'll never serve the Lord, I'll never open up my mouth, and you can get really discouraged. Or you can come to a place and go, okay, I don't know what happened. I don't know why that happened, but I need to go back to Jesus, and I need to sit before Jesus, and I just need more of Jesus because I can't do this. It didn't work when I tried it. This is what's happening here, this come back to Jesus moment for the disciples. But like them, God has given us power and authority. But what's so crucial is that we walk and live out that power and authority in utter dependence upon his spirit. Because we're actually called to be bold. Like not just, you know, sit back and wait and like just wait for the opportunity to come. We're actually supposed to be bold. Like the spirit of God in us gives us boldness to, to share our faith to proclaim, to herald it, to, to live it out, to be unashamed of the gospel. I mean, we're not just supposed to be these undercover Christians. We're actually supposed to, to live out our life unto Jesus in front of everyone so they can see it. The point is, let your light shine, right? So that others can see it and come to know Christ. So we're to be bold, but the danger is that self-reliance creeps in so fast and so subtle that it's really easy to lack dependency upon Christ or at least continue to be dependent upon Jesus. For me, it's something that I constantly have to be aware of, uh, specifically being a pastor, 
right? You would think like, oh, isn't that like easy and awesome? And it's like, not easy, but awesome, uh, but hard. And what's hard about it is that that's my, it's my job also to like do God's will. It, not that all of us in our jobs aren't trying to do God's will in that sphere, but it's almost like everything that I'm supposed to do is supposed to be connected to the will of God. So there's this sense where I, I, I really, really need God's strength and dependency to do anything. But what happens is, is my life, work, time, becomes so routine and, right, like schedules and rhythms. And I can get into such a machine-like mode that I no longer am desperate because it's just normal. And, I, and I've done it before, or this happened before. And so all of a sudden, without knowing it, things aren't going, things aren't happening, it's not working. And then I realize, oh man, I've been like striving in the flesh. I've been doing this on my own strength the whole time. And I'm the first one to attest that this is so easy to do. It is so easy to slip into self-reliance rather than dependency upon Jesus. And what it really takes is it really takes like routine maintenance. Maintenance is so hard to do, right? Even like on your car, you like hate maintaining your car. Every, you know, like even like cleaning the house or doing the dishes, these like simple things that you have to do like daily or, or regularly can become so hard to do. But when it comes to Jesus and dependency upon him, it really is a daily work. I mean, it's like a get up in the morning type of thing. And even if you have, don't, don't have a lot of time to like spend time with Jesus, we at least need to be in that place of God, I can't do this day without you. Like, I, I can't, I don't want to, I don't have the strength to, I don't have the words to. I cannot do this without you. And even though we may think, well, isn't that weak? Isn't that weird? No, it's dependent. It's trusting. It's acknowledging that we can't. And, and really easy, we can get to the autopilot machine mode. I'm the first one to admit that. And I'm the first one to admit firsthand of the negative effects or the unfruitfulness or the ineffectiveness it is when we rely upon ourselves rather than we rely upon Jesus. Especially when we're trying to see God's kingdom being built, right? Or people being saved or people being discipled or transformed. When we do that out of our own self, out of our own strength, man, not only do we get burnt out, but we become ineffective and unfruitful and off track. This is such a good and sobering reminder this morning, I know for me personally, but we need to be reminded that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And, and there's such tension between striving in the flesh and depending upon God's spirit, but it's so subtle in the ways that we can get there. Nothing really says this better than, than John chapter 15. This is when Jesus is describing to the disciples using a metaphor of him being the vine and, and us being the branches. And he says this, John 15, four and five, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And in some sense, this is what was happening with the disciples. There wasn't fruit. It wasn't happening. It wasn't working. They had been given authority. They had been given power. And the demon was not cast out. 
And in many sense, we could say that they weren't abiding, they weren't depending, they weren't trusting, they weren't absolutely desperate for God. But what happens next in our story is that Jesus does what Jesus does best. He fixes everything in a moment with ease. No problem, don't worry about it. What you tried so hard to do, I can do it in a moment. Bring me this boy. He asks a few questions, what's happening? And he says to the spirit, he rebukes this evil spirit with the, with the power of God. And in a moment, at first it's a little bit worrisome. Kid looks dead. He says, no, he's not. He picks him up in front of the crowd. He's totally fine. He's freed. Jesus does what Jesus does best. The power of God is at hand, and the moment that Jesus opens his mouth, he rebukes this evil spirit. And so what we see here is that the kingdom of darkness is, is driven out by the power of God, and the kingdom of God is ushered in. This boy is healed, and he is set free. And the disciples are just so confused, right? They're like been discouraged. They've been like yelled at. They've been mocked. I thought you said we could do that. I thought this is what we were supposed to do. This isn't supposed to be happening. And Jesus tells them at the end of our text today that he says, only, these only come out by prayer or some manuscripts or maybe some of your translations would say by prayer and fasting. Instead of them just rebuking the evil spirit and Jesus' authority, he said only these come out by prayer. And I hope that you can see that the most valuable lesson that we can get from this text today is, that, is the power of prayer. He reminds them that prayer is powerful, right? That, that it's literally and actually the most powerful thing against the kingdom of darkness. Like the most powerful thing that they could have done in that moment was to pray. And that was the most effective way that that boy could be freed from that demonic oppression. What Jesus is telling these guys and these crowds at the moment, he says, the victory? You want victory over the kingdom of darkness? You want victory in, your, in, in this boy's life? You need to pray. Prayer is the way that this boy is to be freed. And church, we cannot let like this truth escape us. We can't just let it be like another Sunday, like that was cool, and I'm reminded that prayer is good. Prayer isn't just some ritual. It, it's not a tradition. It's not like some vain attempt to talk to God, the guy upstairs. It's the very thing that moves the hand and the power of God to disarm the evil one and usher in the kingdom of God on earth. I mean, I mean, it's the tool. It's the thing that God has given us to cry out, ask, seek, and not God to do it. And it's powerful enough to move his hand that the kingdom of darkness flees and his kingdom is ushered in. I mean, it is so much more than just, hey, let's just pray. Or, you know, only prayer. Because we get into that rhythm of, hey, how can I help you right now? Or what can I do in this situation? And and. And subconsciously, we're like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe just pray. It's like, wait, 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 just pray. What are you saying? Prayer is the thing that literally disarms the devil. I mean, do you see this? Do we believe this? Unfortunately, prayer is seldomly valued or seen in this way in our personal lives and in the church. 
It just is. You know, it's just, maybe it's just so routine or maybe we, in some ways, doubt or we maybe don't understand prayer enough. But, but unfortunately, prayer in, in our own lives and in the church, like universal, like capital C, churches, unfortunately, prayer is secondary or to the to aside or, or if we have time. But do you see Jesus here? He's saying, stop doing everything and pray. What you're trying to do isn't working. It's because you should be praying. See, prayer is something that cannot be neglected or put aside in our lives. It cannot be something that you just put aside uh, in your personal life. We need to be praying with our spouses and our kids, and we need to like be praying at our Ohana groups. We need to be praying in our church. Um, we have to pray. See, the thing is, because our efforts are weak and futile apart from prayer, and that's what we see here today, that apart from prayer, it didn't work. It's because prayer is the thing to, to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to, to, for people to be saved to be able to be restored, it's by the power of prayer. And I really want to like charge us, challenge us, beg us to make more of prayer. Charles Spurgeon, right, the famous prince of preachers that many of us have been impacted by, he said the prayer meeting are the lungs of the church. That the prayer meetings of the church are the lungs of the church. Literally, they're the things which give the church life, that keep the church alive, that sustain it, are the prayers of the saints. And if you're reminded, the early church in Acts chapter 2 was started in a prayer meeting. The Spirit of God descended in the upper room when the church got together and prayed. The church started in prayer, and you read throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament and, and church history, and the church has been sustained by prayer. Prayer is the cornerstone and the foundation, and it should be, of the church and of Christians. We have got to be a people that think more of prayer. And I'm the first to say that I am convicted lovingly convicted by my father to pray more and more earnestly and have more value on it. And it, I so easily too can get into the routine of, well, it's just prayer or yes, it's good and awesome, but I fail to remember the power of prayer. And there's real tension. Like there's real tension between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son. It's real. It's tangible. We see that in the story today, and we see that in the world today. I mean, there's a real battle going on for humanity, like for people's souls, for people's lives, for eternity's sake. And the powers of darkness are waging against the powers of light. But we need to remember something. We need to remember that we have the victory in Jesus because of what Jesus did upon the cross. Even though there's a war going on and the devil's powerful and he's wicked and he's lying and he's blinding, we need to remember that Jesus actually defeated the devil and we pray and we live and we hope from a place of victory. I want to remind you of what Jesus did, Colossians 2, 15 through 17. That we were dead because of our sins. 
And because of our sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made us alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sin. He canceled the record of charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, this is what Jesus did. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And we see that firsthand with this demon-possessed boy that Jesus has the victory and he has the power to do so. And the kingdom of God overcame the kingdom of darkness. We live and exist from a place of victory. Prayer is our gift and our tool, and even our weapon to see God's kingdom come. It's our weapon. It's the tool. It's the gift, the thing that we can pray to move the hand of God to see God's kingdom come. Right? That's the, that's the model prayer that Jesus tells us to pray, that his will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. You know how we see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? pray. It's our weapon to disarm the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Paul says, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, our weapons, prayer, are not of the fresh flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The reason Jesus says to the disciples in the valley after this mountaintop experience only by prayer is that prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do to combat the kingdom of darkness and defeat the evil one. It's the very thing that moves the hand of God and ushers in the kingdom of God. And so church, let's pray Let's pray, let's pray. When Jesus was on the Sermon of the Mount, when he was teaching the crowds, everything about the kingdom of God, he said, ask, seek, and knock. Literally, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Anything you ask according to my will will be done. The father in this story needed faith to believe these things. And he said, Jesus, I believe you can, but help my unbelief. For many of us, the struggle with prayer is that we just a little bit lack the trust to believe that God can actually do it, right? That God can actually save that person and change that person's heart. And like, you know, in our own personal lives, we sometimes are like the Father that said, I believe you can, God, but help my unbelief. And so church, I want to pray for us this morning that God would do that. He would well up more faith in us. But I want to charge us to be a people that engage in prayer and ask God for his kingdom to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not far off, that you are near to us, that your ears are attentive to our cries, that you hear us, that we don't have to question if you're listening because you are always waiting for us to call upon you. And Lord, would you equip us this morning? Would you teach us? Would you show us to do this more? We want to be a people, as your word says, that we're praying continually. 
that we're in dependence upon you for everything. And Lord, in our own lives, we very much are encountering the kingdom of darkness around us. Many that are, that are blinded, that are lost, that are hurting. But God, we know that you have the victory. We know that you have the power to save and to redeem. And so as your people, as your sons and daughters, would you make us into a people that pray with, with faith, persistent faith. Help our unbelief, Lord. The areas that we doubt, the areas that we question, would you fill those in with the gift of faith? And so, Lord, would you change our heart and change our priorities, change our schedules if need be, so that we would be not only desperate, but we would be a people that engage in prayer, participate in prayer. That the first thing we do when trouble comes, when problems arise, that instead of going to our own strength, that we would go to the power of God through the gift of prayer. So would you do that, Lord? And as we worship you now, we want to worship you for being the God that is near to us, the God that is powerful. We ask that in this time that you would make us a people that are even more desperate for you, that we would acknowledge our need for you, ask that you'd be exalted and glorified and that your kingdom would come. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.